0: We're 53 days away from this midterm election, and I I wanted to pick the brain of somebody I admire as much as anybody on the political scene. Newt Gingrich, of course, former Speaker of the House. I'm praying that Nancy Pelosi gets fired from her position as Speaker of the House come November the 8th. But we are living in such insane times. I need clarity. I need a calming voice. I need Newt Gingrich, who joins us right now. Mr. Speaker, you're like a, a lighthouse when there's a storm on a ragged a, a ragged coast of May and Maine. I need a lighthouse. I need a lighthouse of clarity. Some political wisdom. I need some optimism. And I gotta ask you. And I want to start with Lindsey Graham deciding to try to advance federal legislation on abortion. Some you know 53 days before the midterm election. What's your take on what Senator Graham? has said, what he has done, and the pushback that he's getting, and certainly the Democrats seeming to delight in the timing of it all.
1: Well, I I think, frankly, it's not helpful because, first of all, I think the the states ought to be weighing in on this, making their decisions and deciding, which is what it was before the Supreme Court intervened 50 years ago. But second, I think what Lindsey's trying to do is offer a position which is, in fact, the majority American position, uh the Democrats' position of partial birth abortion, tax paid abortion and abortion up through the ninth month is in fact about a twenty three percent position. And most Americans would regard that as extreme. And of course the Democrats want to pin the Republicans as being for no abortion under any circumstance. And I think Lindsay was trying to send a signal that there is a middle ground and that it's the Republicans who are willing to be on the middle ground, not the Democrats. So I think that's his intent, but I think, frankly, anything which takes us away from talking about the economy, crime, illegal immigration, um, the, the uh, right of parents to know what's going on in their children's school, anything which diverts from those topics is not necessarily to our advantage, because uh, we're going to win big on those topics. I had a friend who
0: said that the abortion debate is horribly complicated, and it is there's no way around it. It's a difficult issue to have um uh, you know, and it certainly potentially drives women, I guess into the Democrat voting roles if women of any political ideology feel that uh, you know a, a f- that what they see as a right is taken away. Of course, the Supreme Court said this Supreme Court said roe v. Wade was wrong. It was we, there's never been a constitutional right to an abortion. The states get to decide, and I'm just confused. I'm baffled by this, but I keep saying over and over again, don't be distracted. There's a there's a lot of distractions right. going on, and the Democrats want the distraction.
1: Right. That that's why I think we're far better off to let's start with uh the the uh, crisis in the cost of living. Uh the fact that this this week's numbers were terrible. The, look, the Democrats want any topic which gets us away from what I said a while ago, which is the cost of living crisis, including the cost of energy, the uh, rising crime rate in big cities led by Democrats, and and, and with that, the rising drug overdoses, <clears throat> the uh, challenge of parents being allowed to know what's going on in their children's schools, and the crisis of illegal immigration. So from my perspective at any time we're talking about topics other than those we're not gaining ground on the scale we could be and uh, that's why i would come back to those over and over again and basically uh, not engage in the debates the, Dem- the democrats would like this election to be about donald trump and about abortion we would like this election to be about the totally failed big government socialist policies which are bankrupting us at the grocery store bankrupting us and uh, when you watch, when, when New Hampshire, for example, uh, go, goes out to buy heating oil in October, uh, General Baldick is going to r- dramatically pull ahead of Senator Hassan because people are going to be in sticker shock. Right, uh, And I think this is this is the kind of thing we want to focus on. And, you know,
0: there's such big picture issues at stake. Your book, Which came out a a month or two ago, defeating big government socialism, saving America's future is so crucial. I finished it a week or two ago and I was so grateful for your ability to put into very, very clear terms what we're up against. This is what we're witnessing, Newt, in this country is unlike anything any of us have ever seen before. I knew it would be bad. I didn't think it would be this bad. It's worse than I imagined. They are absolutely embracing tyranny, socialism, every everything that that challenges American norms for many many years, and it's almost like we're we're no one we're just watching it with our mouths hanging open. It, people are in a state of shock
1: well, i think it's it's hard for people to realize how dramatically things have changed in the last few years um, i mean if if you go back to Barack Obama running for president in two thousand and eight the the scale of change the speed of change. On everything. I mean, if you look at the overt effort to create anti-white racism, and to create uh, selection systems for colleges and for jobs that are both anti-white and anti-Asian, uh, it's astonishing. And, uh, and of course, you're seeing a tremendous reaction against it. I mean, uh, the the Hispanic community is deeply opposed to what they're seeing happening. Uh, they are deeply opposed to what's happening to their pay, their their paycheck and their pocketbook. Uh, And uh, they're deeply opposed to the uh, liberal Democratic uh, policies that are putting murderers back on the street. So I think all of these things are coming together. And I think when you go state by state, uh, we're beginning to pull ahead in a way that I find very encouraging. But we're going to have to fight all the way to Election Day because the propaganda media is going to be consistently against us. Uh, and they're going to and they're combined with the social media giants in California they're going to try to create an iron wall that blocks the American people from having the conversation that I think uh, is important. but in the end, it doesn't work because people go to the grocery store, people go to the gas station, people watch the local news and see the latest murder or rape or carjacking uh, and the result is the American people are increasingly r- recognizing that big government socialism just doesn't work. Uh, and uh, I think that that's a problem that the Democrats will not be able to overcome.
0: I want to take you to Pennsylvania when we come back, because this is such an important race, this race between uh, Dr. Oz and John Fetterman, and what this is turning into. Holy cow. Newt Gingrich is our guest. You've got to get his book, incidentally, Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future. It's out check out his podcast Newts world Gingrich 360.com this is one of the smartest guys in America and when when you when you listen to him you get you get some optimism about what's going to happen in 53 days more with Newt Gingrich here in the relieffactor.com studios and this Friday episode of the Mike Gallagher show stay with us
2: Mike Gallagher.
0: Continuing with Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House of Representatives, author of Defeating Big Government Socialism, book just came out, and you gotta you gotta get your hands on this book. I you know, I've got seven and a half according to Talker's magazine, I got seven and a half million people who listen to this show every week. I've gone on an exercise and I have actually tried to bribe one listener who's gonna support John Fetterman in the U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania to call the show and explain what you like about him, why you're supporting him. Newt, I can't get a... I tried all week. I can't get a single Fetterman supporter to call. Now, I've got no problem with 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 progressives calling the show and disagreeing with me. We've got a lot of people who listen, a lot of people from all walks of life. And yet I hear from Pennsylvanians who say, Oh, Mike, the Fetterman signs are everywhere. There's more yard signs for Fetterman than Oz. I what case could anybody make for supporting a man who's trying desperately to hold off on any debates, who's got all kinds of health challenges. And of course, you pray for his recovery. I hope he's going to be okay. He can't apparently even have a debate without a practice session that he's demanding with the actual moderators and have the questions on closed captioning because evidently he can't understand what people are saying to him. Newt, how is there any way Dr. Oz doesn't come out victorious in the
1: state of Pennsylvania? Well, look, I I think, you know, you have to recognize that uh, Dr. Oz, first of all, received $40 million in negative attacks from his primary opponent uh, that battered him up pretty good. Uh, Then he had a hostile news media, and he had, I think, a very clever uh, Fetterman campaign against him for several weeks designed to uh, isolate him from Pennsylvanians and make him uh, you know, remind him that he had come from New Jersey and all that stuff. Right. So all of that, I think, to some extent, uh, meant that he he was uh, starting the race thirty or forty year, or yards behind Fetterman, who had won as a lieutenant governor candidate, and who did and who did have a pretty easy primary. Uh, but I think the problem for Fetterman is, for example, that in Philadelphia, which now has the highest murder rate in the city's history crime is the number one issue for seventy percent of philadelphians Well, fetterman both has two convicted murderers on his payroll he voted twenty five times to release murderers when nobody else on the board of parole would vote with him uh... he has called for releasing one-third of all the criminals in pennsylvania and you look at how radical he is uh... he is basically for the legalization of marijuana and the decriminalization of all other drugs Um, and this is at a time when Pennsylvania has the third highest drug overdose rate in the entire country. He is against the oil and gas industry when western Pennsylvania is the fourth largest center of natural gas production in the United States. I mean, you just go down the list, and I think if if Oz just continues to do what he's doing, campaign out get to the maximum number of small towns, be seen as physically capable, open to people, helping people, uh, and, at the same time, drawing the clear issue contrast. Uh, I think that, in the end, Oz is going to win this race, but it, it, it's a, Pennsylvania is a very challenging state. It's a, it's a very big, complicated state with Philadelphia on one end and Pittsburgh on the other end, and then a huge zone of conservatives in the middle. But I have a hunch that, in the end, uh, that Fetterman is going to turn out to be unacceptable to about 55 or 58% of Pennsylvanians.
0: Visiting with Newt Gingrich here on this Friday, um, you know, you, you mentioned the economy, crime, obviously the issues that really matter to Americans. Illegal immigration is a huge deal. This week we saw the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, uh, ship two planes of illegals to Martha's Vineyard. We saw two buses full of illegals sent outside Vice President Kamala Harris's Naval Observatory residence in D.C., Frankly, uh, Newt, I think that's brilliant because if you're going to be a sanctuary city, you gotta you gotta t- walk the walk
1: and not just talk the talk. And of course, these. Well, de- let, let me deal with those separately. Barack Obama has a 29 acre estate in Martha's Vineyard. That in Martha's Vineyard, 29 acres. He could personally, as an act of generosity, take in every single one of the people who were flown in. And show that he really is for compassion for all the people he thinks ought to come to the u s illegally no I don't think he will because it's typical of left wing hypocrisy but here's a guy who represents you know the future of America who lives on a twenty nine acre estate not a bad deal uh, Kamala Harris promised all of us on Sunday on NBC that the border was secure right furthermore, uh, my understanding is that the people who were uh to take to the naval observatory which is the residence of the vice president uh are from venezuela so maybe they could educate her on the cost of big government socialism in venezuela mm-hmm. and the nature of a police state in venezuela and she might find it a very educational opportunity so the naval observatory grounds are pretty big she could invite them all in offer them coffee and tea and chat with them and maybe learn something but i i think it's a brilliant move um, that started with Governor Abbott in Texas and now has been picked up by Governor DeSantis in Florida, you know, let's make sure that it's not just red states on the border that are dealing with illegal immigration. Let's make sure that, you know, Chicago, where the mayor has melted down and suddenly is not really a sanctuary city if you're going to show up. It's only a sanctuary city for political posturing. Um, you just go down, go right down the list. And, by the way, the the left-wing big government socialists and the Democratic Party aren't learning anything. Um The the Illinois Democrats just passed a, a bill in the legislature, and the governor signed it, that eliminates cash bail. At a time when you have a huge murder rate, a huge robbery rate, when Chicago is increasingly unsafe, the answer among the Democrats in Illinois is to make sure we release more criminals so that when the police pick them up, they're going to be released without any bail. I mean, I think the average person has got to regard this as crazy. And I think that across the country, you're going to see Democrats lose election after election on the crime issue as well as uh, the the uh, crisis and the cost of living. All right. Final
0: question. Big picture. November the 8th is everything. We've got early voting going on. We've got uh, millions of Americans who are anxious about the outcome. The Democrats desperately trying to hang on. Do we win? Do Republicans take control of the House and the Senate? Plus,
1: Three to seven in the Senate, plus twenty to seventy in the House.
0: Wow, I like that. I like our. I like those numbers. I like
1: It, it all depends. when I mean, the the left is going to throw the kitchen sink. The news media is going to lie like crazy, and the internet giants are going to try to distort everything. But in the end, people I think are going to look at their paycheck. They're going to look at the cost of groceries. They're going to look at crime on the local news, and they're going to say it just isn't working. From your lips to God's ears,
0: get Newt's book. It's out. Defeating big government socialism. Keep fighting the good fight, Mr. Speaker. It's great Thanks. hearing your Take voice. Care. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.
3: Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is the Andrew Clavin Show. I'm the hunky dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky doo Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a-biddy-zing, it's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hooray, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah! All right, the vast right-wing conspiracy known as Clavanon continues. You know, recently I've been talking a lot about materialism. Uh, The idea that everything there is is material and you're a meat puppet with chemicals inside. I I gave a speech to Yaf about that, uh, the way um, we are sold materialism by the culture. And I was specifically talking about the song um, uh, uh, WAP. The song "WAP" by uh, Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B, uh, and it was actually talked about in an amazing clip on the uh, with Gutsy Hillary Clinton and Gutsy Chelsea Clinton, uh, who were talking to Gutsy Megan Thee Stallion on their TV show uh, Gutsy. I think it was or uh, promoting their TV show Gutsy, and here's that, that clip, cut 17.
2: Chelsea follows rap music. She has, ever since she was a little girl, but I kind of came to awareness of you with the. Cardi B. WAP. I've always wanted to do a song with Cardi. As soon as she sent me the song, I think I sent it back to her like the next day. And it was just so exciting. The men, they seem so confident in what they're saying and they don't have no problem with talking about their sexuality and how they gonna have sex with you. So I was like, well, (laughs) I could do that and it's gonna sound fire coming from a woman. It's
4: great to see women be so kind of fierce.
2: That is my
3: life's mission. (laughs) to make sure that I'm always unapologetically me. So just in case you don't remember the song, WAP, here's a little clip of Cardi B uh, singing the lyrics. Whores
0: in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. Hold up. I said certified freak seven days a week. Wet ass P word. Make that pullout game weak. Yeah, you effin' with some wet ass P word. P word is female genitalia. Bring a bucket and a mop for this wet ass
3: P word. So... Obviously, the B stands for Ben. Not everybody knows that. But have you ever noticed that the feminists always want to imitate the traits of the worst men, the worst traits of the worst men? I mean, no one, no one knows better than Hillary Clinton about the humiliation and pain caused by men who treat their sexuality, like Cardi B says, and Megan The Stallion says she wants to treat her sexuality. They say, well, men act like this, so why can't we act like this? It's always the worst men. They never say, you know, men are chivalrous, men uh, will run and die to protect you, and that's what I want to be like. Is always like, no, we want to act like the most boorish people. And the reason is not because they're feminists. The reason is because they're materialists. And the only thing that they can see is the differences between people are differences in uh, power, uh, immediate power, not emotional power, just immediate power, wealth, differences in money. And that's the way uh, materialists think. And that's why they wind up doing the worst possible things, just like the race, the critical race people who say, well, now if we hate white people, if everything's about white people, that's going to solve the the racist problem because they think, well, if that's how you get powerful, we can get powerful that way instead of taking the moral stand. Now, obviously, this kind of materialism has ramifications for People's personal lives. Uh, And that was what I was talking to the YAF students about. But it also has ramifications for our politics. I wrote a piece this week for The American Mind, which is edited by my son Spencer Clavin, No Relation. Uh, But the piece is called Fair Is Foul, if you want to look it up. But I point out that all of moral philosophy in the West, really everywhere, I think, moral philosophy is always based on one thing. It's based on the fact that life is unfair, but the human heart wants it to be fair, wants it to be just. And basically in the West, we have developed three ways of of dealing with that. Two of them are materialist. Uh, one of them is uh, from Friedrich Nietzsche. It's kind of circles around Friedrich Nietzsche. I won't say he invented it, but it's the idea that since the world is unfair, why are we wasting our time uh, with Christianity and being nice to losers when we should just let the strongest man, the the winningest man, the guy who is the winner, he can uh, set the morality for all of us, and that's how you kind of that leads to fascism. Now, people who defend Nietzsche says he, say he didn't like, wouldn't have liked the Nazis because he wasn't an anti-Semite. But I think the Nazis were inspired by by Nietzsche, and I think fascism is the logical end of his philosophy. And Karl Marx had a different way of looking at it. He said, "Well, since the world is unfair and the human heart knows fairness, the human heart will ultimately um, make the world fair, and that's the path of history." history is taking us in that direction, and therefore, if you get in our way, we'll have to kill you. Uh, you know, Marx didn't actually say that, but that's the way it turns out, because when you know where which way history is going, uh, then anyone who's getting in your way is on the wrong side of history and can be eliminated. Now, obviously, the Christian way of thinking about this, the Judeo-Christian way of thinking about this is, no, something's wrong. We The world is good because God is good, but we broke it. We're sinful. Something is sinful in our hearts. And In this piece, I point out that this way of looking at things has two different big implications. One of them is that there are supernatural meanings to our lives. And that's what I was talking about the queen uh, last week when I was talking about her death and celebrating her life. I was saying that she lived in the superna- into the supernatural meaning of our life, of her life, she lived as the incarnation of the nation. George Washington is another person who lived into the moral meaning of his life. When he handed over his sword uh, to the civilian authorities and gave up an empire that was his for the taking, he basically said, "I represent liberty. I am giving liberty a place to be." This is what. Uh, um, Shakespeare said the artist does he says he gives to airy nothing a local habitation and a name, and Washington gave to liberty the idea of liberty, the habitation and name the United States of America. People who live into their into the moral meaning of their lives live very consequential lives because most of us don't do it so but this also means something else. It means that if there is such a thing to put it in Christian terms, as flesh and spirit, such a thing as the physical life and the meaning of my life, there's always going to be a tension between those two. See, Marx thought that that tension was going to resolve itself in history until we reached a kind of utopian Marxist world. That's not true. What Christians know is that the history will end. It will end, and then there will be a revelation where the spirit wins out. But in the meantime, it is the tension between unequal things, that makes us move forward. So, you know, we know that uh, the spirit and the flesh are always in tension and you can't you can't ignore the flesh. You know, St. Paul says the flesh comes first and then comes the spirit because it's through the flesh that we experience things. So you have to learn how to treat your flesh, how to treat your body, how to treat other people's bodies. And through that, you start to learn a spiritual life. Uh, the fact that some people are more talented and, than others. Some people have more gifts than others. Some people have more privilege than others. And other people uh, are left behind and we have to actually care about them, there's a tension there. Uh, do we make the world just e- equal by taking away the talent of a LeBron James and giving me 100 points uh, to start the game with and maybe only two minutes for James to play? Or do we say, no, he is an inspiration into my life because he is so talented and he works so hard that I'm going to try and be that ta- to work that hard to improve what little talents that I have. Those tensions are always there. And what happens is, In a process like our process, in the American process, we believe in that spiritual idea of of the process, of the tension. And so we let different characters, different sides play out against each other freely. And what happens when extremism uh, comes to the fore, which is what is happening now, the extremism of leftism has taken over the White House, the Senate, the House, TV, the movies, uh, the academies. The deep state, every institution is owned by the left, except maybe the Daily Wire, uh, and we're not so sure about us. But- but that, when one, for, one side takes over like that, the tension is gone and then you have tyranny. If you have people who are kind of side to the left but understand the right and people who side to the right but understand the left, then you have this living uh, process that we try to keep alive. The process is in danger. The process is in danger right now because of materialism, because no one can understand the symbolic life. No one can understand living into the meaning of your life. And I'm going to show you the results of that when I tell you about this experience I had this week. So a life that's lived completely into the spirit uh, is always going to be a sacrificial life. And you want to know some of the ugly things that can happen when somebody lives into the spirit and lives a sacrificial life. You want to read the gospels, they'll tell you all about it. Uh, but a life lived into the, purely into the flesh, which is the life being sold to us today and the life that the wor- world always sells to us, can be incredibly ugly. This week, I got an invitation to go to the Susan B. Anthony List Pro-Life Gala in Washington, D.C., and it was a, a celebratory uh, event to celebrate, obviously, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, something the people at Susan B. Anthony, SBA, they call it, uh, have been working on for 25 to 30 years. And so it was a, a joyful occasion. And um, you got there, and there was a huge protest going on outs- outside. When he went inside... People were obviously very nice, well turned out at a Washington event and all this stuff, but they were also very, very prayerful. It was a prayerful event. And uh, that includes people who might be a little pious for me, maybe a little, you know, people who are a little bit too in your face with their religion. It's not something I actually prefer, but it included a lot of people who were not like that, but who were faithful, who believed in God. And the atmosphere was joyful. It was quietly uh, um, prayerful. Uh, It was elevated. And it was beautiful. It was patriotic, uh, but it was beautiful it was celebrating uh, the lives of unborn children and bringing those lives to fruition. And there are many people who were moved to tears in the course of the evening. A lot of big powerhouse uh, politicians were there. Uh, Tim Scott was there, Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, uh, a lot of others, Lindsey Graham, a lot of other uh, Sen- senators, Kevin McCarthy uh, from the House. Um, and and yet the whole the whole thing was just a very, very polite prayerful event, the people outside protesting, and it was a protest, and I have nothing against protests, although I think if all you can do is protest, maybe you're missing out on debating and listening to other people, were, looked to me, demonic. The filth coming out of their mouth, they just four-letter word after four-letter word, sometimes repeated endlessly in chants, you know, F you fascists, over and over and over again. I could see people from the event were getting unnerved by it. I'm not unnerved by it because I know that's what the world looks like. But also playing in loudspeakers uh, that hip hop music, which I just think is is just, I just think it's trash. I think turning that stuff, putting that stuff in your head is a huge mistake. And it was so obvious, the difference between these people that I just thought, gosh, you know, look in the mirror. You know, there was this clip going around that that almost showed you the same thing. It was Lila Rose, and I love Lila Rose. She's from Live Action, also a pro-life thing. And she was on uh, Dr. Phil, I believe it was. And a lady started arguing with her. And here's just a a bit of this argument.
4: You have no empathy. Uh, Abortion is devastating to women's mental health. No one talks about that. The year after a woman you has know an abortion what it's really like the, the, the year after a woman to have the child. They, what kind of trauma is the that? trauma that is inducing from the on rape. somebody. The trauma is from the rape. The child's an innocent party there. The child is not born yet. Gener- it's not there. We, we should not take out generational sin on a child to say there's generational sin and that dad was but an abuser, the so the We're child not even should be killed. That's rate. not We're fair to the child. about rights. And he just yes. said we've been taken a right has been taken away from us. And what is? I want to address that because our fundamental human right that we all share in this room. Is life? It's the first human right. Laws are meant to protect the weak in a society. Who's the weakest? Who's the weakest in a society? A child. The poor. They don't have a voice. They can't speak. A child the in the room, or a weak, the but a poor, poor child we're would be the weakest. Keep them that way. By and a child with disability. Listen. Kids. Whether you live ten minutes or ten years or a hundred years, you're a human life, and you have the right to not be killed.
3: Now, I, I tweeted this clip around, and I pointed out that if you turn off the sound, you don't even have to listen to the words. Uh, Though I'll get back to the words in a minute, just look in their eyes. Look in their eyes. Lila Rose has eyes that are compassionate. She's speaking compassionately. She even has compassion for this person screaming. And then you look at this other woman, and I don't, you know, I don't want to attack. I feel bad for her actually. Uh, She's all her face is filled with piercing, and she's piercing herself, and her hair is kind of looking weird, and her eyes are just like hardened, like rocks, you know, and yet, and yet also kind of bright, uh, as if they were lit from within by something that maybe she shouldn't have allowed to get in.
1: <laughs> you know,
3: that's that's the the one thing that you just look at people. I felt bad when I was looking at these people outside this uh, SBA dinner, the, that rage and the filth coming out of their mouth and the actual uh, gleam of self-righteousness, I felt bad for them. I felt these are souls uh, that maybe have gotten lost. I mean, if, if I looked in the mirror and saw those eyes and, and coming out of me, I would change whatever opinion I had, I would change my opinion. I would think of this is what this is turning me into. But the other thing is the logic. The logic just completely disappears. I mean, Lila Rose is speaking pretty logically. Now, you can people can take different sides logically, but that's not what you're getting. There's another clip. I guess it's um, I guess it was CNN. Maybe it's MSNBC it was Alison Camerata. Uh, you know, Lindsey Graham has introduced a, a law that would federally ban abortion at 15 weeks. Now, some people are saying that's a stupid thing to do, but he's trying to basically show how extreme the other side is. Uh, that They say it's stupid politically. But it's fascinating to me. This is CNN. Alison Camerata makes this remark about Lindsey Graham. She's making fun of him. Here she goes.
2: Kirsten, I want to stick with you. Uh, What is Senator Lindsey Graham doing? Why is he proposing? (laughs) I I mean, well, honestly, I don't understand this. Why is he proposing (laughs) a federal anti-abortion law that would ban all abortion across the country at 15 weeks? I don't think that he understands how pregnancy works. You don't often get testing, important testing until 20 weeks.
3: So (laughs) I'm not. I'm an English major. I have a little trouble with the math, but you know, 15 weeks is is three and a half months, right? I mean. (laughs) so I think I think if you're getting testing, you know, you you may not know. I guess maybe what she's trying to say is that you don't know whether this child has some kind of glitch that you want to kill it for. Uh, if that's your if that's your argument, but at three and a half months, you know, that's a child. There's like no getting around it. You're not talking about a clump of cells anymore. So she's kind of like she doesn't even they don't even hear what they're saying. I mean, Nancy Pelosi was making a, a joke about this. Uh, about this at twelve. Cut twelve.
2: As I say, as a mother of five. In six years and one week, I keep saying, uh, I I respect everybody's view about how they decide to do what they do. And we should continue to respect their freedom to do so. But I think what you're seeing there is a conflict within the Republican Party. There are those in the party that think life begins at the candlelight dinner the night before. And and these people are, are in defiance of that, right? They're in defiance of that. (laughs)
3: so that's uh that's interesting yeah it's nothing funnier than killing babies that's just it's just when i when i want a good laugh i i kill a child um but you know there are three arguments for abortion there are three arguments that the left makes for abortion one is the argument outside of time We live in time, but suddenly they take time out of the equation. Uh, And the baby can't play chess, they say, so let's kill it. The baby can't suffer, can't feel anything, which isn't true. But they say, you know, it can't make decisions, so it's not really human. But of course, we live in time, right? So you can't kill a person when he's asleep because he'll wake up, and you can't kill a person when it's just a, a, a baby, a, you know, a non, not fully formed baby, because it will become a person. That we live in time. The second argument uh, is the one that's good for any murder, is this person is in my way. I could be a rock star if my you know wife weren't holding me back. I could do whatever I want. I could have a much better life. I wouldn't be constrained to working in this crummy job if I didn't have this wife. You know, any that's the argument, like, you know, this this child is going to get in my way. This child is going to hold me back. This child is going to hold me down, so I have the right to kill it. You can make that argument about any any person who gets in your way. Uh, but the third argument is the argument from tragedy. That some situations are so tragic, there can't be a happy ending. Rape, incest, and the life of the mother are the ones that they draw out. And I agree, those are tragic situations. And I, if, if I... Ruled the world, I would come down on the side, except in this situation of the life of the mother, which is so rare these days, but I would come down on the side of the baby uh, in, in rape and incest. But I do understand that that's a tragic situation. And I, you know, I, I don't have like the whole thing about tragedy is there are no good answers. That's what a tragedy is. A tragedy is a situation with no good answers, where either way you go, you're going to get uh, pain and suffering and possibly death. So what the media, the left and the media do is they take away every other situation, which is 99% of them, and they just focus on those. And Republicans have to be careful not to get caught in that overreach, not to get caught and saying, well, we don't care about that because everybody feels the tragedy of it. That's why the left uses it. But the fact that they have lost all sense our lives have moral meaning. It's just a clump of cells. It's I can't I can't see it, so it's not there. It's not talking. It can't play chess. Why should I preserve this life? And that that's what turns your eyes. That's what turns your eyes into those little flaming stones that the devil hands out uh, after you've accepted uh, what he's been whispering in your ear. The tragic situations I, I I'll leave them open to debate. You know I, I have no problem understanding that there's tragedy in life, but the rest. The rest will drive you crazy. Bad ideas, bad ideas will lead you into darkness. They really will. And one of the true worst ideas is to misunderstand that life is a series of tensions that hopefully drive us forward when we give each of them uh, a voice. So this is why I think the media is such a problem. You know, the media has become less powerful the more they've lied, and they've had to lie more and more as it once again becomes clear that leftism doesn't work. But the media, what the media does by siding with one side, and when I say the media, I mean the networks, I mean the New York Times, I mean the Washington Post, I mean all that echo chamber of what they call mainstream news. It's only mainstream news in the elite world. But still, it's, it's lost some power, but it still creates this narrative, this powerful narrative that there is only one side, that there is only one right side. It actually hurts the process that is America, that is freedom, because that's what they're trying to get rid of. They're trying to demonize it. They're trying to arrest people, uh, criminalize anybody who, who takes that point of view, calling them fascist. And, yeah, in politics, people call each other, you're a fascist, you're a communist but when you have the media on your side when you have the academy on your side when you have hollywood on your side it just becomes an unfair fight and that's that's the thing i would be willing to sit down with anybody in the middle left and have that debate and have a, a debate and maybe reach a compromise but you can't do that when he is is wrapped up by that media telling him that there's only one side there there was there was a moment this week that it was hilarious, but it also was was pitifully sad. Uh, the the Biden administration decided to throw a jamboree. They were going to have a celebration. It was celebration time. They were going to have a big party celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act, which even the CBO says is not going to do anything about it. The, the Congressional Budget Office says, and they're a nonpartisan group. They say it's not going to do anything to change inflation. It might over time, but as you know, there is no time in government. There's no future in the government because the government will spend more stuff and already has because they've forgiven student loans, which is going to cost $600 billion or something like that. So that any inflation reduction that's gone away, because let's remember where inflation comes from. Here is the Milton Friedman, the, still the greatest economist we've ever had, uh, the immortal Milton Friedman explaining where inflation comes from and why, Cut Six.
1: Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money, and any other attribution to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it, producers don't produce it, trade unions don't produce it, foreign sheiks don't produce it, oil imports don't produce it. What produces it is too much government spending, and too much government creation of money and nothing else.
3: That's it. That is the truth because the government doesn't make anything. See, when Jeff Bezos, you may not like him, but when he builds a business, he creates wealth. So if you print more money to keep up with Jeff Bezos, you're not printing empty money. But the government doesn't create anything, not one thing. It subsidizes things. It messes up markets. It raises prices. When it subsidizes uh, an electric car, the price of the electric car goes up. You're not getting any of that money. That money is going right to the richest people in the world who make those electric cars. That government money that they give to you, they give you $100. I'm making that up. It's a lot more. They give you 100 bucks uh, to buy an electric car. The electric car company raises their prices 100 bucks. That's how they screw up the market. Everything they do uh, increases inflation. So there they are, celebrating the non, the Inflation Non-Reduction Act. Uh, they've got James Taylor singing Fire and Rain, which is about suicide, so that makes a little bit of sense. And then Pelosi, in her effusive way, is cut uh, to.
2: Mr. President, thank you for unifying and inspiring a vision of a stronger, fairer, safer future for all, for our children. Your extraordinary leadership has made this glorious day possible. I, that's an applause line. <laughs> it's,
3: please clap. Please clap. That's an applause line. He didn't know because nobody's listening to him anyway. While they're doing this, the market crashes. Why does the market crash? Because the new inflation numbers have come up and they're enormous. They're the same. They're worse a little bit than they've, they've always been. CNN quickly cuts away. Here's cut three.
1: So I thank the Republicans who stood up.
2: OK, you're listening there to President Biden at the White House. He's celebrating the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. He says that he's been fighting big pharma for decades. Um, but there is this unfortunate split screen right now with the Dow taking a total beating down more than 1,200 points. And so it feels like uh, it's hard to be celebratory for some people in the crowd.
3: But the reason you not want to mention why that's happening is because inflation is up. That's why the Dow is crashing. I, I like the way that ABC and CBS reported it. Uh you have to listen carefully to hear, because you know, the networks are a little bit more honest than the cable stations, but they still have this one tick. I'll let you see if you detect it. Cut four.
0: He is stressing that inflation is relatively flat, up just one-tenth of a point since July, and he argues the economy is strong, pointing to low unemployment numbers and plunging gas prices. The president is also touting Democrats' new Inflation Reduction Act. He's promising it will do just that, that it will bring down energy and prescription drug costs. But, George, it was notable that at a big celebration here at the White House yesterday, the president largely ignored these worse-than-expected numbers. Look, the White House is well aware that inflation is a big potential political liability. With the midterms now just eight weeks away, the economy is top of mind for voters. And while the president is confident that he can turn this around, the White House does admit there's still a lot more work to be done here. Yes, this George. has
2: been the toughest issue for the White House.
0: The uh, president cannot be happy about any of it. Good morning.
2: No, he cannot. Tony, good morning. That inflation report uh, dashes hopes
0: of a quicker economic rebound. Government figures show groceries climbing more than 13 percent on average, electricity spiking nearly 16 percent and rent up nearly seven percent over the last year.
3: So so if you listen carefully, they're telling the story from Biden's point of view, not from yours. It's this is, you know, Biden is confident. uh, It's a problem for him. It's a problem for him, but he's confident. And it's only one tenth of a percent, which isn't true. I mean, families in August spent 23.8 percent more for energy than last year, 6.2 percent more for shelter, 11.4 percent more for food, which means their wages, any wage increase they get and any help they get from. The government is just wasted money; it's just burning it off because the money they get from the government is increasing the inflation. So it's like a tax on everybody. So it, hilarious because the the press is not reporting reality; they're reporting the mind of the president. It's a problem across the board. I mean, the border, this thing at the border, which is making me laugh, but it's not really all that funny. Uh, you know, Abbott in Texas, Governor Abbott in Texas, and DeSantis in uh, Florida are shipping illegal. Illegals into blue enclaves like Martha's Vineyard, right? And suddenly, oh, what a terrible thing this is. I I could have picked 100 uh, clips, but I just picked this one. uh, Commentator Fernand Amandi has got 28 uh, from MSNBC. That is an act of evil. And it is an act of evil being done by evil men who are using
0: children and good faith parents coming to this country, the land of the free and opportunity like my parents did and grandparents did, and shaming them for political points. In the most cynical calculation, Stephanie, what's going on here is they're trying to change the conversation from the Dobbs decision overturning Roe versus Wade and making it about immigration. But it is the most cynical, cheap, and evil tactic. And I don't think it's going to play here in Florida. I think Ron DeSantis overreached this time.
3: Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet now. So, so for years now, the left, first of all, the left did everything they could to stymie uh, Donald Trump's attempts to build a wall, to put any kind of security in there. They've been doing this for years. They've, they now have open—we have virtually open borders. Everyone will tell you this. Anyone who's down there will tell you this. They're flooding into the border states, so the border states are shipping them out. Now, all this time, the Biden administration has been secretly flying them out in the dead of night to enclaves that they think are red enclaves, that they can turn blue by shipping in uh, illegals, basically, because they think that they're all going to go blue, which I think is a miscalculation. But all the same, that's been their ideas— so now the border states start to strike back by shipping these people to places like Martha Vineyards. They sent some uh, outside. Was it Pelosi's house? It was one of the uh, one of the left's uh, house. They're shipping them into New York, uh, into Chicago, and suddenly this is evil. It's evil to use these people for political gain. It's evil to do that. It is so hilarious. It is so hilarious. It it even makes me wonder if some Democrats aren't going, you know, the the Democrats, what they basically say is, well, yes, these people are lying about all this, but Trump, 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 you know, they always sound like the Oompa Loompa people from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Trump, 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 Trump. But first of all, the logic of that is that our people are as bad as the most evil human being who ever existed, because they think Trump is the most evil human being who ever existed. But it never occurs to them to take the next step and say, maybe the people lying to us about immigration are also lying to us about inflation, crime and Donald Trump. And at least the Republican Party and whether they're full of fascists and white supremacists or not, because this is the other thing, you know, they're doing their best to criminalize, to criminalize the right, to say that they're fascist. Last week they issued something like 40 subpoenas for people who might have had an opinion about the election, somebody who might have walked by the Capitol on January 6th or turned on the TV. Uh, Mike Lindell uh, was uh, basically had his cell phone taken away. Here's Lindell explain, this is the My Pillow Guy.
0: The FBI, uh, you're going to hear this and you're probably already hearing it in the news. The FBI came after me and took my phone, they surrounded me at a Hardee's, and uh, took my phone that I run all my business, everything with, um, um, they could have just, what they've done is weaponize the FBI, um, it's disgusting. I don't have a computer, everything I do, I have that phone, everything was on there, and uh, um, and they told me not to tell anybody. Here's an order, not to don't tell anybody, okay, I won't. <laughs> I
3: am. <laughs> I kind of like that one. They told me not to tell anybody, so I won't. Um, anyway, they, now, so now they've d- been doing this. They've got a, a special master uh, to look at. They have appointed this uh, um, retired judge Raymond Deary, uh, who's got respect on both sides of the Trump. People seem to respect him as much as the DOJ. The DOJ is still appealing this, trying to get the special master. This guy who's going to take. Uh, Theoretically, a non-biased look at the documents that the FBI took from Mar-a-Lago. But that's, that, that's not the thing. The, the thing is not that they took documents from Mar-a-Lago. It's not even whether Donald Trump did something wrong by taking the documents to Mar-a-Lago. It's the difference, obviously, between the way Hillary Clinton was treated and by the way Trump is treated, and not just by the FBI, who's the FBI has obviously got some corruption going on at its highest levels because uh, there we've caught them in their emails. We've caught them lying to the FISA courts in order to bug uh, American citizens, the phones of American citizens. We caught them uh, you know, sending the Steele documents, the Steele dossier. Uh, investigating that long after they knew that it was phony, uh, but it's it's not. It's the press. It is the press. If the press is exposing everybody, if it's saying, yeah, they lied about Trump and they've lied about Hillary and they've done this with Hillary, if they're exposing everybody, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with them attacking. They should attack everybody in power. Anybody with power, they should be down his throat. But listen to the way, and this is from our friends at Newsbusters, uh, at MRC Newsbusters, listen to the way they reported uh, Hillary's cell phone server, which had all kinds of classified information on it, cut nine.
1: I don't think it's a big legal problem.
2: The American people don't care about this. I have been utterly bored with the story. There's going to be a cloud of suspicion, though, by those who just want to see conspiracy. There's, it's, there's almost no way she can clear this up to the satisfaction of critics on the other, uh, other side in terms of the politics of this. It's not even a scandal. It's a really so controversy. Just... The scandal's the Republicans' word for it. At this point, it's all just background noise. There is, in some ways, no, they're there. And voters don't seem to care about it, according to polls. 147 FBI. FBI agents are focused on this. I mean, don't they have other problems? Fact, There's I no believe. crime in the country they should be <laughs> worrying about. So how is she going to overcome these distractions? All
3: right. So it's all from her point of view. And the board, the board voters, here's how they cover Trump. Cut eight.
2: Could some of the boxes recovered from the former president have put national security and perhaps lives at risk? This
3: is as bad as it gets. It really does send send chills up the spine of anybody who's ever worked at CIA.
1: When you have this kind of information, you guard them with your life. (laughs)
3: <laughs> and that's, you know, it's a serious problem. I li- it's, it's funny because they're so dishonest and corrupt and they look in the, you know, they, I don't know, it, it seems to me if you put on a tie and jacket and you look into a camera, you ought to at least have some respect for honesty. When I sit down and write, I always think, that like, what is the point of putting words down on paper if they, you don't mean them? The thing is, there are certain things that I professions that I call meta-professions. One of them is what I do as being an artist. When you write a novel, you step out of your own opinions. You step out of your own opinions and create the world as it is—a world of tensions, a world of conflicting ideas, a world where two people can see things totally different, differently, and both be kind of right about something or both have a point of view. Uh, That's a that's a meta way of looking at the world. That's the way the journalists are meant to look at the world. That's the way they're supposed to. It is the but they have stopped and they have stopped. Because they're materialists. If stopped because they do not believe that there is another level of meaning to the world, and when they do believe in another level of meaning, when they do believe in morality, they don't believe it applies to them. When they look at the poor, when they look at the, uh, the underclass, they see people they can feel sorry for and dry their big tears for, but it doesn't occur to them that, oh, maybe maybe they, they have to make some sacrifices. It's always like, oh, well, the environment is bad. You better ride on a pony or a, a bicycle while I fly my private jet to Davos to discuss how you can save energy. Uh, it's always like this. So it's, yeah, bring in those illegals and illegals because there's a lot of room in Texas. No room in my neighborhood and no room in New York or Chicago. Martha's Vineyard, certainly, certainly not. What's wrong with you? You know, this is a problem. It's the problem of forgetting that we are in a process and it's the process that leads us forward. It is the press that has led the way in ignoring that process and creating a narrative in which that process doesn't exist, and it has been incredibly, incredibly damaging. All right, for some of you, the Clavenless weekend has come. Uh, For those of you who are not subscribers and don't want to hear the subscriber block, uh, you have an alternative, which is to plunge into uh, a week of darkness, wailing, gnashing of teeth, fire, Screaming. Oh, the screaming is the worst part probably, because especially if it's yours. Uh but but you can come back on Friday for the next Andrew Clavin show, or you can subscribe and hear the subscriber block coming up right now.